When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Behave. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, today with me, I have Clint Evans of The Behavior Chef. He's one of uh, a two-person team uh, for Behavior Chef, at least at this point, uh, and also a BCBA. Uh, we're really excited to have you on the show today, Clint. Hey, Brian. Thanks for the invitation. Um, it's really cool to see your podcast come out and and I'm really excited about the core content that you're going to be uh, hammering on because I'm uh, I'm one of the newer class, but apparently already becoming the old class. I'm on task list four, so admittedly on on task list five, I had to look up uh, what the new numbers and letters were, <laughs> for, you know, where everything's listed. I know everything that's in there, but I couldn't remember offhand where everything was listed, so I had to figure that out. But I'm so glad that this is is a viable resource for people. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you. And one of the reasons why I'm going to Taskless 5, even though they're not implementing it until 2022, I believe, mm-hmm. is, um, because uh, the ph- philosophical underpinnings is a core component. And uh, I feel like that's really important for people who are being introduced to applied behavior analysis. Um, so today's topic is going to be on uh, positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement contingencies. Um, can you tell me a little bit about positive and negative reinforcement from your perspective? Sure. Um, I remember if there's anybody listening that's, you know, in, in school that's studying, I remember being in your shoes. I remember being in your seat. And then the, the first semester of classes, we jumped into the positive negatives of reinforcement and punishment. And both of that is through my world for a loop um, to wrap my head around what negative reinforcement was specifically uh, was difficult. So I had, as a society, we hear negative reinforcement wrongly applied so often. Well, yeah, like uh, my, one of my favorite examples of the incorrect application is uh, Big Bang Theory, where um, one of the characters starts talking about negative reinforcement, and he's actually talking about punishment. Right. Yeah, that, that happens all the time. I, I, I may even know that clip. I think we've used it in class. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it happens all of the time. But that's one thing that's really great about something like this. Uh, this podcast and what we do with the the term dissemination, you know, getting getting those words out there. But as far as positive and negative reinforcement for me, you know, we're a team, team behavior chef. Um, another gentleman that runs it with me is Tony Chambers, and he's another BCBA I've known for a long time. And we love cooking, we love eating. But one of the things that drove me to create Behavior Chef in general, I was actually sitting at a kitchen table um, after a pretty unsuccessful diet, and I thought, you know. I had seen, there's a great group called Behavior Analysts Get Fit, and it's by the guy that runs Behavior Man. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's a great resource for, you know, the health and fitness side of, of ABA. And I thought, you know what, where's the nutritional side? That would be really cool to cover. So the Behavior Chef came born out of that, and 
out of that was a lot of positive reinforcement for me. So um, my own personal application of, of dietary things, like tonight, for example, before we're doing this recording, I was at the gym and I still use today one of the continual or one of the continuous forms of positive reinforcement that I used a year and a half ago to get myself going back to the gym, which is as silly as this might sound, this was something that I did my own personal um, research into for me. I, I looked at my own values. I looked at all of those things, but I ended up finding out with a uh, preference assessment of sorts that I was interested in going to the gym and just doing the bare bones. I didn't want to lift weights. I didn't want to do exercise for very long. Mm -hmm. So I made a deal with myself with my own behavior contract. If I went and did 10 minutes of cardio three times a week, uh, each time I would go, I would be able to get a smoothie from the smoothie bar. Oh. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was my continuous reinforcement. That would just be there every time, you know, that shaping procedure for myself. And then when, if I met that criterion for the three, I would get the continuous regardless. But if I met the criterion for three, you know, that uh, that fixed ratio of three, I would go with like a dinner or I would have my own cheat meal and I get to choose whatever I want. So it wasn't just dietary. It was a, a couple, it was like a two-fold reinforcement system that got me started into getting back in the gym. And now I'm I'm in the gym seven days a week for an hour and a half a day. So it's... Um, it's worked so far, but that's that's positive reinforcement in its basic form. You know, Cooper has this very big and, and illustrious definition, but basically positive reinforcement is exactly that. It's the addition of a stimulus following a response and immediacy that is uh, that increases the likelihood of that behavior to happen again under a similar or the same set of circumstances in the future. So and, an example, uh, so, so what you're saying is that with positive reinforcement, um, you you do you or some other living thing does a behavior and then something is added in and then that reinforces or is there more yes. to it? That's that's the simplest way I can I can put it for people to understand. So if I break down the contingency a little bit using my own example, um there is we're talking of three term contingency here, you know, the S D uh, the behavior and the reinforcement, but there's a four-term contingency that's always at play, and that goes in with the motivating operations and okay. all of those things. So for me, um, you have in uh, MOs, you have the EOs and the AOs, the establishing and abolishing operations. Okay. And basically, if people are listening and don't understand what those are, if you're still learning, uh, think of hunger as uh, you can walk by a fridge. Uh, the fridge could be your SD. There's food inside. The behavior could be getting the food out and the reinforcement you know, could po potentially be eating or the hunger goes away um, if it's something reflexive. But basically, the EO for eating, food's there all day. When you get hungry, there's your, there's your motivation that makes that reinforcement more palatable, more wanted. So then you go have that sandwich, that, that hunger goes away, and then you no longer want that food. Then now there's an abolishing operation in effect. So you no longer want food. You've been satiated. Okay. Which is, um, I say all that to say there was an AO in place for me. Uh, the, the gym had become aversive. It had become paired with something that wasn't um, helpful, that wasn't, you know, I had all these negative thoughts. I know we're getting a little bit mentalistic with that that rhetoric, but it was, you know, it's something we all deal with. We deal with those private Internal events, events and yes, you know, yes. It, it so, goes into that sort of stuff, but, you know, we can very well circle back around later on about that. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fine. Um, but I, I used, so my contingency was, you know, um, 
SD could be um, the gym itself. I could be in the parking lot looking at the gym. The SD is like, you know, that, that signals that reinforcement's available. My behavior was whatever contingency or whatever I had decided, you know, whatever my criterion was that day. So we'll stick with what I said originally, 10 minutes of cardio. And then um, the immediacy of reinforcement is the, the shake. I have a favorite shake there. I know what I like. So I immediately would go up and get in, order it. And that would be my immediate reward. So, um, and it was proven by replication in my own life that through preference assessment, I found out there was a certain stimulus, which is acting as a reinforcer or something that was reinforcing, which is the shake. I really enjoyed that. That had a reinforcing value for me. So when I added that into the 10 minutes of cardio and did it consistently, then the 10 minutes of cardio became less aversive and the reinforcement had more power than the aversiveness of going to the gym and ultimately not to get too nerdy about it, but ultimately what ended up happening is we started contracting, contacting natural contingencies to where the gym is now its own EO. Uh, it, it's its own establishing operation. Go, the idea of going to the gym is now paired with all these good things. Well, because so, uh, so physiologically what's happening is basically your body's getting conditioned towards uh, working out and consistently yeah. working out. And, and so your body's starting to feel better and it there's endorphins being released dopamines being released all those things so instead of it abolish uh, instead of the gym being punishing or abolishing um your efforts to to get fit it sounds like what happened was your the stimulus of the of the smoothie was paired with the stimulus of going to the gym and now they're both reinforcing does that sound yeah that sounds exactly right I, like I said earlier, I still use that to this day. So, um, and how that evolves a little bit is like I use the same continuous reinforcement schedule just to keep my behavior momentum going. You know, to go because after I'll give you an example. Like today, I worked, I worked from eight to six, uh, and then I got off and I, I ended up being at the gym around seven, and I was at the gym till about eight thirty, and I came home to get ready to do uh, this podcast with okay. you. So to get off work. At, I was actually scheduled to work till eight, but I, you know, some conflicts happened. I was able to get off at six, but to work eight to six and still want to go work out for an hour and a half. Um, that's some days that's more daunting than others. And today was a, a particularly rough day, but I remembered not only my, my values driven stuff, which again gets into the act thing, but in its purest form, the reinforcement was available for me. So I do to bring it into another arena. I do a, uh, along with the workout, I do a nutritional program centered around something called intermittent fasting. Okay. And that's something that we, you know, we're covering in a couple of episodes from now on, on our podcast, on the behavior chef There's podcast, really we'll be covering that. that. I'm really excited to hear that podcast. Oh, thanks. Thanks. That's a, it's a really fun thing. It's, it's been very, very helpful for me, but especially um, behavior analytically, it, um, it sets there again, those EOs and AOs are at play, but it really sets up, a routine, I guess, is a good way to really say it that, you know, I eat from this time to this time. And after that time finishes, then I don't eat again until that time tomorrow. That's basically intermittent okay. fasting. So I, I've i paired the idea of intermittent fasting with that reinforcement of the shake. So I was talking a second ago about how the shake was a ten, initially continuous reinforcement to shape my behavior of just getting into the gym and doing some very minimal level of activity. It's evolved now into, you know, a lot more, a lot more often. So there's a clear replication. There's a clear history. If I were taking data, 
there's a clear history of an upward trend of my behavior. Changing criterion has come into play. I've elongated my duration. I've uh, upped my intensity. All these different things have been added in. So the treatment package is working well with just the continuous reinforcement by itself. But also that has led to a natural contingency for me to contact other ideas. So working out was great. And I started seeing these, uh, I started seeing these changes in my body, which made me want to look at my nutrition a little closer because nutrition applied with, you know, exercise is a one, two punch. That's a perfect treatment combo. So when I started, I found out that intermittent fasting was a lifestyle that fit me very well in my work and everything. And now I actually start my intermittent fasting day or end it with that same shake. So I time it to where I'm either working out fasted and I break my fast with the shake or at the end of the day, if I'm at the end of my fast, I'll work out then and finish my day with the fast. Because again, uh, I guess we can jump ship to negative reinforcement with that because what has shown me and my own, this is anecdotal. There's no actual, I haven't, well, there is data. My, my, my scale tracks about 14 different parts of body index and all this stuff. But one of them is clearly it's weight and it, and it puts it in a day, month, and year format for me. So it's even my scale is data geeky, <laughs> which is great. But it uh, <laughs> it breaks it down and shows me that what I'm doing is negatively reinforcing. So for me, that's the idea of, uh, or not for me, the idea of negative reinforcement again is is the same idea that reinforcement increases the likelihood of behavior will happen under a circum- set, certain set of circumstances. But the negative piece, instead of adding in a stimulus, is the okay. removal of one. So in my uh, in my estimation, uh, or in my scenario, I should say, using the same theme of the gym and nutrition and all that stuff, it's actually very negatively reinforcing for me to look at the scale and see the weight drop. So um, I don't recommend this for everyone. This is you know this is for somebody's personal level. But I am comfortable enough to track my weight data daily. And um, I'm pretty in tune with what I put into my body. So it shows me, you know, if I had too many carbs one day or all this other junk that it can really show me with all this data. So I get on the scale every morning. So I can see fluctuations by a pound or two, you know, here and there. That's not a big deal. But if I consistently see from Monday through Friday, you know, um, 0.5 or a few ounces or a pound down here and there, and it's continually going with that downward trend, that's that negative reinforcement. The stimulus that's being removed is a number on the scale for me. So which, so that that's reinforcing to continue. So I said all that to say the idea of positive reinforcement with a shake started with continuous reinforcement every single time for ten minutes of working out, and here we are a, a year later and about uh, overall I've lost about sixty five wow. pounds and um, we're it's fantastic. Thank you. It's it's all you know it's all calculated, but it's because of the simple trickle down effect of continuous reinforcement and. And fading into, you know, changing criterion and then making that reinforcement go a little farther with positive reinforcement and those natural contingencies connected with negative reinforcement. You see how it all yeah. connects together and that gets, it opens up with, you know, behavior cusps and behavior, pivotal behaviors we learn. I don't want to step on oh, your uh, other areas. I know that you'll touch on these what things. What this is doing all... is, is showing that there's a lot of things in operation. Um, and one of yes. the reasons why understanding behavior analysis is such a big deal. A lot of times we see people who are exposed to behavior analysis and they think that behavior analysis is sitting at a table, 
continuously presenting stimulus and getting the kid, to, uh, a kid or an individual to do the same thing over and over again. There's way more going on here. Um, and, and it's <clears throat> the, these things that you're mentioning, we're going to be covering all these things in the show. We're going to be breaking them down. But what, what you're hitting on Clint is that you're saying these things play off of each other. We need to have an understanding of these things to truly be able to exact change. And, you have tracked data that shows that there's a change over time. So we know that the positive reinforcement of the smoothie is indeed reinforcing because the behavior you were targeting of going to the gym has not only increased in frequency, but also in duration. And we know that the negative reinforcement of tracking your weight is working by watching the weight dropping off um, because, again, you're increasing your awareness of your the nutritional content that you're eating am i am i hitting that target close to the bullseye right on the head you actually said it um earlier we were talking about the oh gosh what was the term that you just said you, you said something right there that reminded me of the word contingency you said, oh that's what it was you said where all yeah. these things work together in, in in essence in layman's terms that's a mm -hmm. contingency you know, a, a contingency is a group of things that work together for a functional outcome. And that, so, you know, for lack of better, for that's not straight from Cooper. That's 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 a watered down definition, right. of course. But the idea of a contingency is that we we can sort of it's sort of like a plan. You can kind of expect something to happen based on replication, based on whatever it might be. Under a set of circumstances, this is likely to happen because we've seen it happen again and again. I mean, in its most basic form, we yeah. call it a scientific process. Um, but it's exactly what you were saying. I knew going in, um, and I had all these private events that were attached to it, by the way. It's it's not just uh, saying it on a podcast. It sounds so you know easy. But there's so many barriers to get over to make change in life. And uh, you know, we're talking about the task list here, and we're talking about future um, candidates for for. Uh, the board and, and potential BCBAs oh, and, and BCABAs and, and teachers. And maybe so even, we're, we're, hoping, we're hoping that we can get yeah. folks to start seeing behavior analysis as instead of this giant bunch of nerds talking gobbledygook that hopefully by, by seeing that, that there, th this has real life application and this isn't just real life application. This is real life things that are happening every day. It's, just because B.F. Skinner and all those fantastic folks that followed made these observations didn't mean they didn't pre-exist the observation. They actually, these contingencies are in play whether you're aware of them or not. And um, one, of, yeah. one of my number one uh, pet peeves that people get upset because they say that B.F. Skinner didn't believe in free will. Uh, and and uh, I've read his works uh, some of them, not all of them. I need to read more. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things is really fascinating, and, and I know this is kind of going off the beaten path, but it relates back. Um, what the thing that's sure. really fascinating is when he talks about free will, he talks about this mystical concept of somebody magically having the ability to make a determination and change things in their lives because they decide to. So when he's talking about free will, he's not talking about... Um, the ability for a person to make change in their life. He's talking about 
the change ability being attributed to something beyond the person. Yeah, it's environmental determinism, if anything else. Where I believe, so B.F. Skinner, love him to death, but I believe that he 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 sometimes made the mistake of worrying too much about what other people were defining instead of functionally defining the behavior himself. Um, that's not always the case. Most of the time he didn't have that issue. But when it come to, came to the term free will, I like to say, well, if we define free will as a person being able to initiate change in their own life, then learning about these contingencies and learning about why these contingencies affect us and are in play means that we can then manipulate the contingencies for ourselves to make a change in ourselves. So therefore, one could argue that free will is the application of knowledge towards shaping our own behavior. Behavior being defined as anything that a living organism emits. So, Sure. I think there you're, you're touching on another area that I know you'll hit on, but it's it's really a case of operational definitions and, and, and functionality. And so, what you're what you described to me, which is fantastic, and I know that's the, that's the objective of Behavior Chef is that health and nutrition side of ABA, which is so underutilized, in my opinion, yeah. um, is is the idea of agree. <laughs> using these contingencies to make positive, meaningful change in our own lives and helping those contingencies also make positive, meaningful changes in those around us. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but w- didn't your, your, your wife and your friends and your family's family also um, participate in these contingencies and try to encourage you to make those positive health changes? Yes, yes. Um, both my wife and Tony's wife uh, did a version, you know, we did separate things, but the things that we were doing that Tony and I were doing for ourselves, our wives uh, participated in. And my wife has lost, you know, a, a, a pretty decent amount of weight herself awesome. and has kept it off for quite a while using these behavior principles. It's amazing. And, you know, you're talking kind of what I was getting to earlier. You know, I'm talking about myself and I'm, I'm talking to something that I know listeners are relatable to, uh, you know, everybody has what we call we're coining in, in the behavior chef world, the, the n- nutritional behavior. You know, you just said it yourself, every human being or every organism uh, emits behavior or well, every, every organism that requires sustenance uh, emits yeah. nutritional behavior. Uh, we have to make choices on what to eat, what to intake, those types of things. So breaking it down in its most basic form, that's kind of where we're coming at it from a behavior analytic standpoint. But I know people will hear this and, and they'll relate to this because everybody deals with, especially now, uh, this time of year, we call them, you know, the resers, the New Year's resolutioners, who statistically, um, if their objectives are not clear, concise, and complete, as we know about operational definitions, statistically, they'll fizzle out by the big, by the middle of February, the majority of, I think it's 80%. That I, and don't quote me on that. I don't know if that's hard and fast it's rule, but I know it's a majority of those resolutions it's a very high number. You're right. So to relate that back to the teachers and to the students listening, um, you know, these, these words are more than something from a textbook. They're more than something that's been replicated in a lab or through a, a study. Ultimately, what's going to happen is using these principles, they're going to affect change in the students, in the lives of the individuals, whether they be 
uh, on the spectrum or they, they won't be whatever, whoever you end up working with, they're going to affect change in, in their life. So it's, we're, we're very powerful uh, when it comes to the, the, the weapons. And I think I use that word poignantly, um, the weapons of, of positive and negative reinforcement. And then, you know, you'll get into the, the punishment side later on, but they're, they're weapons in a sense that we use them to wield and make change in certain areas. And if we don't apply them correctly, exactly. the, the effects can be devastating. Um, you know, there are negative side effects to positive well, and, and negative uh, reinforcement. Actually, a, a perfect negative side effect to talk about. Like, um, So this is something my wife and I have decided to do. Uh, we've decided to go on a movie theater fast. <laughs> and uh, the reason we've decided to do that because we realize that every time we go to the movie theater, we get a soda, we get a popcorn, we sit down, we enjoy ourselves. We got that wonderful paired stimulus that has been amazingly well programmed into us because you walk through those those doors and you smell the popcorn and you see the soda and you they even have the advertisements with the Coca-Cola the, and the pouring and the fizzle and the popcorn and all that stuff. Um, and, and, and those are uh, all reinforcing contingencies that make us want to go to the movie theater and spend money. And so we're not just looking at our physical health there because uh, eating a tub of popcorn, that's a lot of carbs uh, and a lot of fat. And <laughs> carbs and fat in combination, especially when they're simple like that, are just not a good combo. Um, <laughs> and even if you get your diet soda, yeah. uh, that, that diet soda can have all sorts of stuff that, that well... I, I'm particularly susceptible to sucralose because it causes inflammation in my joints and so my knees. So, you know, sure. it, there's sure. all those things going on and uh, and then we're spending all that money and we're, we're thinking about this and going, well, this is way too reinforcing for us. So maybe what we should do is when we have the temptation to go to see a movie, instead we get a red box to see a movie that way or, you know, Netflix or, or Hulu or whatever. Um, and then we prepare a nice home-cooked meal and enjoy that. That's way more satiating. A home-cooked meal is lower in sodium, more balanced. We're going to be way happier. Um, and we're just going to kind of go on a fast from uh, going to the movies. Um, and we've been testing sure. this out. And it's, I think, been a month or so. We, we, we usually go to the movie every every couple weeks or so um, there's, there's also that other thing that they have the movie club that uh, makes us want to go more. So we, we canceled that. Mm, yes. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, we've uh, we've been feeling better. We've been feeling healthier. We've been feeling more connected with each other. Um, that is very important. And uh, That's important. we've been eating out less and uh, that is reflecting on our pocketbook. That's reflecting on our belt uh, waistline. Uh, <laughs> and it's very positively reinforcing because um, what are, what's, the behavior, what's the targeted behavior we wanted to reinforce? We wanted to reinforce being more frugal with our money. We wanted to be re reinforce eating home more sure. often. And we wanted to reinforce being more connected. And it's achieving all of those particular behaviors. Um, and the negative reinforcement that we get is um, we uh, the removal of the stress from having a lower bank balance. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, that's, yeah, the buyer's remorse that comes buyer's with that, remorse. the internal event of feeling guilty <laughs> and going, well, why, 
Why did I do that? Yes. Uh, and just so you folks know, we mentioned internal events several times. Um, behavior analysis recognizes that emotions and thoughts and feelings are indeed behaviors because they're emitted by a living being. And every single human being that has existed has experienced them. And we see the evidence of internal events through emotions and thoughts in ourselves and in other creatures, uh, non-human creatures. Um, but because the only way to truly observe them is by the individual reporting it, that's called an internal internal event. So sorry to jargon you guys up yes. to this point, but that's just so you know. <laughs> yeah, to make it even more confusing, that's one branch of behavior analysis. The, the radical behaviorists are the ones who really follow that idea. There are some... Um, some old school systematic behavior analysts who, I don't know if they're around so much anymore, but they don't really even, they, they yeah. thumb and nose at the idea of internal events. Uh, it's quite an interesting group, but I've never run into them in my practice. I yeah, think I've read about I, them in the books I more than anything. I kind else, of feel so. like we the, yeah. the majority, and, and maybe the, this will cause someone to crop up and be like, well, I'm one of those guys. But <laughs> Sure. We invite conversation, yeah. by the way. You know, whoever... <laughs> we, exactly we, but that's, uh, that's why know, dialogue like, exists it's understanding that philosophical stuff that uh, ryan and i will be will be touching on and we're kind of recording out of order just so you guys know but uh, that's okay <laughs> exactly yeah that's the beauty of recording so i think we hit really good on uh positive and negative reinforcement um just kind of to add in there to demystify yeah. a little bit when I when I hear positive and negative, I mean adding it. I think adding and subtracting. So positive means you add something in. Uh, negative yep. means you take something out. Reinforcement talks about how there's something that happens before a behavior. So an antecedent or uh, SD, which stands for discriminative stimulus. Yes, it got reversed. There's the jargon for you. Anyway. Um, yeah, exactly. And then we have the behavior, which uh, can be abbreviated as BX. And then we have the consequence or the following stimulus, um, which the consequence or follow-up stimulus could be uh, positive or negative reinforcement or positive or negative punishment, which we'll cover in a later podcast about punishment contingencies. Um, but for purposes of reinforcement, that means that the behavior that occurred before the reinforcement was uh, emitted or, or was, sorry, not emitted. The behavior that was emitted before the stimulus was applied is it has an increased likelihood of occurring in the future. So if I walk into a shop and I smile at somebody and say, hi, good morning, and they smile back at me and say, hi, good morning back or some variation on that, I'm more likely to say, hi, good morning in the future because me personally, I found that very reinforcing. Um, whereas if I were to get grumped at, that means that there's possible, for me at least, that's that's kind of punishing. But again, going into that. Yeah. Yeah, I think most people would agree with that. I, I know there are some select few that yeah. dislike social interactions, but overall, I think that was a good application of, of the everyday uh, use of positive and negative reinforcement. Well, I guess really positive. positive to, if we're yeah. sticking true to jargon, positive reinforcement and then 
And then, of course, some negative there, reinforcement but, um, would be uh, a perfect example. My, one of my favorite examples of that is, um, Billy, if you eat your broccoli, if you eat four pieces of broccoli, because you don't like broccoli, after eating four pieces of broccoli, I'll take these other three pieces of broccoli away and you don't have to eat those. Uh, and that reinforces the likelihood of broccoli eating in the future, or at least finishing your food in the future type thing. Me personally, I think Billy's crazy. Broccoli is delicious. I, I love it, but you know, Hey, you know, good for you, Billy. I guess you have your preferences. Right. (laughs) Let me give you uh, another practical daily uh, example. Um, simply put a a checklist, Uh, a checklist is a great example of a negative reinforcer. Uh, I don't know. There's a great app, for example, if you're an Android user, sorry, Apple folks, but I know you have your own variation of this, but Google has um, an app called task or tasks. And simply put, it's you type something in really quick, like a grocery list or something, and it itemizes it one by one. And when you get that one thing done, you click the radio button and this little pop, like a balloon pops and that, that little piece goes away. And, um, it's very reinforcing to see that stimuli, which is the written, uh, whatever you wrote down there to disappear. So it's the removal of that, that item on the list. So a lot of people use checklists every day and may not even well, realize my that other favorite example of negative, of negative reinforcement is you get in your car, you sit down in the seat, you start the engine and that annoying dinging sounds. And if you don't buckle oh, yes, up, it, it gets away. more urgent and more obnoxious and louder. And that, by clicking that seatbelt, that reinforces which behavior? The behavior of buckling up. And so for some people, that is mm-hmm. highly reinforcing for the behavior of buckling up. Now, my cousin Bob, who did the intro voice, by the way, um, uh, for for the show, uh, oh, awesome. he... It is not yeah. negatively reinforcing for him. He can ignore that dinging all day long. But every time he gets in the car with me, if he's sitting in the front seat, he knows that I'm going to grump at him if he doesn't buckle up within X amount of time because that annoying ding is really bad for me. So his negative reinforcement is the absence of or the system of me grumping at him about pulling up his stinking seatbelt. <laughs> So there we get into some contingency shaped <laughs> versus rule governed behavior for your cousin Bob. And uh, I guess I should make a clarifying note too, since you did on, on mine. Now in that scenario, that's the, that, that assumption was that um, removing list item lists is a reinforcing task for you. So there, it's very possible that there's a list that you have to do that removing something from it is, mm-hmm. is not reinforcing. It could be a punishing effect. So um, I just wanted to clarify that that it's not always the removal of a stimulus within a task uh, or t- I almost said task analysis. <laughs> I guess in essence it kind of is, but um, within a checklist that could be reinforcing. There, I'm sure there are certain circumstances where that could be punitive. So I wanted to make that distinction with those listening. Well, th- this also that, you know, is it, dependent it on functions of behavior, um, which which are part of the contingency. So the, the circumstances yeah. that govern the behavior. Um, and this also has to do with preferences. So some people prefer checklists and, um, 
I tend to work with quite a few clients who are on the autism spectrum. I happen to also be on the autism spectrum too. I don't find checklists as reinforcing as most people do, but I always test out and I always present that as an option because we're testing um, to see what is a preference for other people. Um, so while the checklist isn't reinforcing for me, that doesn't change the fact that it might uh, it might be more reinforcing for somebody else. I can tell you right now, my wife loves lists. I get her a notebook as a gift. It's one of the most thoughtful things I could do for her because she loves exactly like planning out, making the like list. My wife's the same it, way. it helps her organize her internal thoughts and create a structure. Um, and that's very reinforcing for her. So what I've learned to do is I've learned to be a little bit more flexible in my use of checklists and those sorts of things, because what's more reinforcing for me is spending time with her. And that time needs to be pleasant and, and enjoyable and, and whatnot. So um, there you have it. That's Exactly. Yeah, getting your wife a small gift um, can be an EO for your marriage. So I, I think we've uh, I think we've hit pretty solidly on on reinforcement contingencies, both positive and negative. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add, Clint, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I agree. Um, if it's oh, all right, I I'd like to, to talk about, about something we're going to be doing at ABAI. Sure. So Behavior Chef is very excited. The team. Uh, along with a, a constituent of ours, um, a, a, a okay. common constituent, Maggie Pavone, is actually going to be a part of this with us. Um, and if, you, if you're listening and, and you're interested in uh, OERs, which are open educational resources, Brian was talking about that earlier. Um, Maggie, we were talking about off recording. Maybe you're talking about off, off. Maggie and I are uh, collaborating and... Um, yeah, uh, quite a few others are, are collaborating on this. And in fact, you you are literally contributing to open education resources right now. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my pleasure. So there, she's a great resource for open educational resources. Her and one of the your future guests, Ryan Sane, another great dude to, to look in there. But we, uh, Maggie was a professor of mine and, you know, very blessed to know her. She's helped us out a lot with getting things going. So we have a group called Behavior Analysts Get Fed on Facebook. And in that group, we did a couple of group contingencies over the summer, which led to some uh, anecdotal research. And what I mean by anecdotal wasn't really IRB stuff. It was more of like survey, self-reporting. And that led to us, uh, we're based out of St. Louis, so that, that led to us presenting a little poster at Missouri ABA. And then that has evolved into a symposium, as well as another, we're going to present that same poster at ABAI, but at ABI in Washington, we're actually going to be doing a symposium with uh, me, Tony, the other gentleman from Behavior Chef, and Maggie um, called Everyone Eats, Behavior Analysis Applied to Eating and Meal-Related Behaviors. And uh, at the time of this recording, it's January 7th, so the presentation schedule isn't released until tomorrow, January 8th. But we're, we're really excited to get that out there. And, and, of course, in that talk, we'll be discussing these positive and negative reinforcement type ideas as applied to nutritional behavior. So uh, when that comes out more often, or when that comes out later on, you know, after you hear this, please do. If you're interested in, and Brian, if it's okay, if I share some contact information, uh, okay. You can find us at um, www.behaviorchef.com um, at Facebook and Instagram are really our two most active uh, platforms. It's simply at the behavior chef. 
and the behavior chef at gmail.com. It's all the behavior chef. So it's really easy to find. And then I do have a podcast, which um, I, Brian and I have talked about collaborating on that as well. So look out, if you listen to podcasts, look out for Brian's episode from the behavior chef podcast. You know, that's everywhere uh, that this one's available. Uh, And anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. So Thank you, uh, Brian, for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. And anybody listening, I hope we are helpful to you. And that's that's one thing I wanted to – you were talking earlier about teachers and disseminating. And I, I have an episode with Stephen Hayes. And one of the biggest things that I took away – because I know you know him as well. And and one of the biggest things I took away from there, we, we got into the idea of disseminating. And he, he, he said, Clint, do you mind if I go on a rant for a second? He said, I don't like the term dissemination because it, it sounds like – I know something that you don't. And he said, I know ABA is trying to widen their doors. So, um, and I'm not saying that to, I'm just quoting him. I'm not saying that to anyone that uses the term, you know, it's a great term, but he, he said, instead of that, he said, I simply, every time I do anything, I sign a book or I, I do a talk. I simply end with, I hope I've been helpful to you. And uh, hearing that has really impacted the way that I, it's reframed to use his terminology, it's reframed how I look at um, the idea of dissemination. So exactly what Brian's doing with these open educational resources and helping you study along with the fifth edition task list, the idea of what we're doing at the Behavior Chef and Sitecore and, uh, you know, Ryan O, all these great new things that are popping up for social media, for the the behavior analysis field. All we're really trying to say and, is that we're, we're to build a community we that we can be um, helpful to you to make the world a better place because um, yeah. ultimately and and I I will cover this again and I and I do talk about this all the time. Part of the reason why I do this is because I'm selfish, uh, and I'm happy to say that I'm selfish. I I want the world to be better. I want it to be better for me. I want it to be better for my future kids. I want it to be better for the people that I love and care about. And the best way to do that is to look at how I can leave it a little bit better every single day. And so, you know, sure, it brings attention. Sure, there's a, it allows me to be able to say the things that I want to say, that sort of thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're, Dr. Hayes is right. Did this help? And I want this to help. I, I want I want the the parent who's feeling frustrated and exhausted and tired to know that you are doing awesome and I know you feel tired and exhausted and I know you feel like you've dropped the ball um, and you haven't because guess what? You're trying. The fact that you're here listening means you're trying. And you, the teacher who's listening, or you, the student who's listening, each of you, every single person who is listening to this, the entire objective of this is to help us all improve and get better and to shape and change the contingencies to bring it kind of full circle to that little rant i went on about free will um, to enable you to have that free will so that you can shape your contingencies and you can make your life better so you can shape the contingencies for those around you that you love so they can be happier and healthier and um and all those sorts of things. And and that's one of the reasons why I love Clint's podcast. And I think you should definitely follow it and listen to it. Because those contingencies apply both to people every day who are just regular everyday Joes. 
um, as well as people who maybe have special needs um, because health, diet, and weight and health are a big deal for folks with special needs. Um, you know, it, it, just talking about, for example, teeth brushing, um, the health of one's teeth is huge in predicting whether or not someone's going to die at an early age or whether they're going to have a lot of pain and suffering in their life. And for kids who have developmental delays or other special needs, teeth brushing is frustrating and hard. And yet, if you can create positive reinforcement contingencies where teeth brushing can be interesting and fun, and you compare that stimulus, then all of a sudden, instead of them having a life of mouth pain and heart issues and digestive problems and things like that, now they have a lifetime of relatively healthy teeth, they can live a full active life, and teeth brushing is a pivotal skill. It, it leads to other positive habits, which means that it can lead towards other things. Sorry, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine and a little bit of a rant, so sorry for the, uh, the digression there. Um, Exactly. It, it, it all it all comes back around. No, I think it's applicable. Um, but that's our time. Um, thank you very much, Clint, for your efforts. And I look forward to collaborating with you further and with Tony as well. Um, and uh, I'll get this podcast out ASAP so that way people can enjoy it and hear the amazing things you had to share. Hey, well, again, thank you for your effort as well, starting something like this. I know firsthand it's not easy to start something from nothing. So I really appreciate your effort to put in for the podcast. And it means a lot that you would reach out and ask me thank to be you. a part of it. So okay, thank you. Okay, folks, you've been listening and, to OBEHAVE. Uh, I look forward to our collaboration uh, Thank well. you for following us. And uh, you can check out more announcements about OBEHAVE at beardedbehaviors.com slash OBEHAVE. Have a good day.